0: Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Stuart Turner, a consultant, public speaker, technologist, and roboticist. How's it going, Stuart?
1: Yeah, it's going well, Brett. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on the
0: show. It's it's a pleasure. Um, Let's see, I would say we should probably start at the beginning. I think a lot of your story kind of depends on the pre-story the history the origin uh, story right so you were born with spinal bifida
1: yeah I was born with a type of spinal bifida um, but I wasn't quadriplegic until 20 2002 so you wouldn't have known until then that I was that I had, that I had spinal bifida because it's it's fair, it was fairly common at the time it just means small hole in the spine essentially Um and
0: so you uh, had full mobility?
1: Essentially, I couldn't use my right arm, but you would never have known that because I am i was six foot two, um, you know, 17 stone of essentially muscle. So you wouldn't really have been able to tell unless you knew me um, that I had any kind of disability. Um, and then in rare, rare cases, um, it, um, you get adult onset symptoms where you suddenly become, well, suddenly over the course of a decade become... Um, but I had no real idea this was going to happen and um, I was actually at university studying computer science and um, because I couldn't use my right arm they gave me like a left-handed keyboard. So I had some accessibility software um, but then towards the end of 2002 I just lost the ability to type and at the time they just weren't the tools and if you can't type you can't really be, couldn't really be a computer programmer. Um, and that was me then for a decade of essentially bed boredom and going mildly insane um, until, you know, I mean, I was looking for ways to use my computer and use a computer. And I managed with the help of some friends to cobble together a system and, you know, and but kind of willpower and determination will take you to a point. But then in 2012, this, over here we have the NHS, obviously, thankfully, and uh, I was given a new type of funding, which, instead of being allocated as, okay, you need, you are quadriplegic now, you now need these services, they made a it's quite profound shift into you're quadriplegic, you have these needs, these medical needs, um, here's a budget. So you could go about solving solutions in a way that was tailored to each quadriplegic, because every quadriplegic is different. Every quadriplegic person is different. And so I spent a decade in bed with willpower, boredom, determination and box sets. Then got the funding and then 18 months later I had funding, physiotherapy and I was up in my wheelchair and I was back to able to work, which... Just, I mean, I don't have the vocabulary to express the the difference it made to my life. And so,
0: what kind of tools made it possible for you to to do the things you do now?
1: The big one is voice dictation. Is uh, it's, it's called Dragon Dictate for Mac now, but it was called Mac naturally speak. speaking. Uh, that was the Windows version. Uh, uh, it Max Speech Dictate. It was called, um, and they were bought by um, Nuance, who make Dragon Naturally Speaking for the PC. Right. Uh, because the state of the I mean the state of voice dictation wasn't very good. I mean it just it just wasn't. And then I don't know what happened, but there was a real leap um, around the time around 2010 2011. Uh, where suddenly you were hitting 99% accuracy rates after five minutes of training. And and once I got voice dictation, I could Google. And then once you can Google, you can do anything. Sorry. And from there, it was just, what's the next problem? What's the next problem? What's the next problem? And just started cracking problems from there. And uh, I never, ever did this with an eye to helping anybody else. It was just solving my own my own accessibility issues, which, you know, is, is still not a solved problem, but it's, it's uh, you know, like everything you can do with your iPhone, I can do with my iPhone now, which is just yeah. something I never, ever thought would happen. It used to be that accessibility, the accessibility software on anything, on any operating system, phone, whatever, was some terrible subset of what everyone else could do. But Apple... Uh, I mean, full disclosure. I've done some beta testing for Apple. Um, their accessibility software is just a phenomenal. There is nothing. There is no other company, and I've looked where I can get an able-bodied person to take an iPhone, an iMac, a MacBook, or whatever out of the box, turn on the accessibility stuff, and leave the room. Five minutes later, and then I'm I can do it all. Everything. Nice. It is unbelievably brilliant um, and it's because they decided to care I think yeah it's because they decided to
0: I assume and, uh, that you found that third-party developers often miss Excel accessibility issues in their software
1: well yes <laughs> to be fair accessibility on the web and it's a compliance thing and I know I don't wanna, you know, be mean to developers, but it's is this does this work with a screen reader? Yes. They put the big red accessibility accessible stamp on it and out the door it goes. But is this accessible? I think the best analogy I can think of is if you imagine coming into your office in the morning and somebody had removed all of the switches, all of the dials, all of the knobs, all of the mice, everything from every device, how are you going to use the internet? That's the problem that you have to solve when you can't use your arms and legs. And that's just not a problem that's being addressed or wasn't being addressed because people don't know. I mean, how many quadriplegics do you know? People just don't know. And mostly, mostly I would say 99% of the time, when I've reached out to specific developers, they've gone, oh, yeah, I never considered that. And right. then made changes because people are yeah you know, people are generally awesome,
0: yeah, that's been the story for me many times is like I'll build something and not really give a second thought to uh differently abled users and the first time that first time this came to my attention was when I was frequently contacted by a blind guy, mm. like completely blind, who was using my software, mm. <laughs> despite me never having thought twice about that and uh and i started paying more attention to making things accessible to voiceover and uh where uh how buttons were labeled and positioned and then uh over time yeah i've i've been contacted and really i found that uh you you just have to ask because a lot of us we don't we take yeah. things for granted
1: well richard Team, who's a speaker he speaks a lot of dafcon he has a really nice phrase it's uh it's digital birds in digital cages it's you, you can't see your the, the cage that you're in your bubble that you're in because why would you you're not blind you're not quadriplegic. to it why would it occur to you
0: right you know
1: what I mean and then when it does occur to you it's like oh okay, yeah that's a thing I mean you can't no one developer can be expected to understand let alone implement solutions for every disability. I mean, this is one of my, one of the big things I talk about when I give speeches is that companies that, um, I think LIFX, you know the light bulb manufacturers?
0: Not on here, but...
1: There's a company called LIFX, they um, have an open API, which lets you trigger light switches or uh, trigger lights with um, bash scripts or Apple scripts or any kind of post or get request um and they never did that with disabled people in mind they just left the door open a little bit and leaving that door open a little bit allowed me to come in and solve my own problem which yeah. I think is I think it's the way to do it rather than trying to create a solution for everybody which i think is just some Sisyphean task which you're just never going to manage um, it's just not i think i think it's going to be easier to just, like I say, leave a crack in the door, let me solve my own problem. Because if I can't, then, you know, I could find a few developers that might want to help me and then we can solve the problem, you know?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I don't understand how any company survive without making open APIs for their products. It, well, like building that developer community does so much. Most of the companies that yeah. have made it and made it big have offered yeah. that kind of, here. here's the product, if you need to do something different with it, here's the way you do it. Yeah, and I, I feel mean, like Apple's pr- the tools that Apple provides to developers are all that, there. Like you can make your your apps accessible.
1: Exactly. Really yeah, I was easily. just about to mention that uh, their Xcode and their new um, they just added this new thing into Xcode. I think it's called Playground. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of a you can just mess around and just build stuff, and with kind of a no consequences kind of excellent way of learning Swift, which um, I think is brilliant, and and you know it's, it's it's a great thing to to actually provide people the, to- the tools. I, I I don't just mean it would be useful for disabled people. I mean it's useful for any any community, and uh, right. I think if you've not got a lively Developer community that are doing it because they like it, you're gonna struggle. I mean, yeah, unless you, you know, the largest. You, I mean, I think LapTop Apple are the largest, most cash-rich company that have ever existed, but they could probably just about manage to do it. But your average startup's gonna need that that um, developer support.
0: Oh, for I sure. Mean, it's, yeah, it's
1: just otherwise, I don't know how they're gonna manage. Which
0: makes it baffling to me why Twitter started closing off their API.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think, I don't know, you get this collector, you you get this kind of, I don't know, This it feels like a sense of panic from Twitter, it's like, no, we've got billions and billions of users, but no way of making money, hell, what do we do, do we turn things on, do we turn things off, do we (laughs) take away the switches, just flip anything, do we take away the 140 (laughs) character (laughs) limit, do we shrink it, do we... What do we do? Quick fire everyone. No, hire new people. (laughs) Let's close everything down and then let's open everything. And and I just, I think that they just can't monetize Twitter. I can't Mm. see, to be honest, how they're going to do it. Um, Yeah,
0: I don't, I, I, Twitter's been one of those things that I thought would last for a really long time, but I'm starting to doubt that.
1: Well, I keep thinking that, I keep thinking that's it. That's the final, the final nail in the coffin. But it's such a wonderful echo chamber for people that love echo chambers. Yeah, if you want to really build is. a bubble for for people that agree with you, and um, <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you, um, I'm not obviously not talking about politicians here who would never do this. <laughs> um, but um, it's a great platform for that. I mean, it is it is great, and I don't see it. I mean, there are lots of lovely little alternatives out there, little open source projects that could do the job twitter does better more efficiently more privately all those other things but you know they suffer from the same network problem they suffer from you know it's no point me just sitting there on whatever the new hotness is called on my own you know it's just me shouting into the void then you need everyone (laughs) to move and i think the only way everyone's going to move is if twitter folds and
0: well it happened to myspace
1: it did Everyone
0: moved from MySpace, and when Twitter came out, there were a dozen services just like it, and Twitter's what? the one that survives. So.
1: How did that happen, though? I mean, did, did everyone move and then MySpace folded, or did MySpace fold and then everyone moved?
0: Well, uh, I-, I think that enough people moved to Facebook to give it critical mass, and MySpace slowly just kind of evaporated. Mm. Uh, people people didn't want to keep up too Facebook style services and Facebook just kind of took it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know I saw these really sad, this really sad map of the internet the other day and it was, uh, it was a map of traffic flows, which, and which showed, uh, people's entryways into the internet. And it was, uh, it was a bubble graph. So it was a giant, uh, bubble for Google and a giant bubble for Facebook. And then all these other little connections and, basically demonstrating that the internet now for, you know, 90% of people are huge, Swiss sort of people is Facebook. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the internet, not this wonderfully designed, decentralized, crazy madness <laughs> that I remember when I first got into the internet. It's this, you know, series of walled gardens, which is a shame.
0: But, yes. The the frontier has been tamed.
1: mm I mean, and having turn, said that, turn into a city. Having said that, inside the Apple Wall Garden is quite a nice place to live. You know, however much people might like to hate on Apple, they do make nice laptops.
0: They still do. They Although really, I can't, you, you 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 won't be able to relate. But I I do not like the keyboards on the new laptops.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't touched a keyboard in a decade. That's entirely yeah. Have you have yeah. you tried the new the new Touch ID thing, the new bar that everyone was complaining about on on Hacker News? No, it, uh, it seems to cause quite a quite a problem for some people. Which I don't. I mean, maybe it's just because I don't touch or... Right?
0: Well, I always I always wait a year for the fury to die down. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people just don't like change. No. So. You know, after a year, if the complaints are still there, I consider them valid and I'll pay more attention. But yeah, also does... usually after a year, people fix things. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, I never buy the first generation Apple anything, really. Yeah. Uh, well, I say that, but I think <laughs> I probably bought the first generation iPod every time it's come out. Me. Yeah. I think that, uh, Apple has a habit of creating markets and, uh. And and that people don't like change. And Google do the same. Google has started to do the same now. And uh, I think that if Apple are not careful, if they appear to continue doing what they're doing, which is ab- abandoning the developer market and going for the, uh, what's the term? My I- wife used it the other day, prosumer, which is kind of the pro consumer. I think, they ah, are, right.
0: I think yeah, they're going to struggle.
1: I think if they lose um if developers start buying these new Lenovo b B thirteens instead of apples to develop on, I think eventually it's gonna be a problem for them. Because you need Mavens and you need thought leaders and creatives at the top of the industry. You don't need many, but you do need some For sure. You're using your products to, you know to say that, you know, we are the ones that these big film studios you use are whatever it is. Um,
0: so, oh, sorry. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump back to your history. Sure. So, in 2013, you started flying drones. This yeah. was shortly after you were fully quadriplegic, right?
1: Yeah, so at this point, I'm fully quadriplegic. And I cobbled together enough of a system to bother people on Twitter, and um, mess about on Live Journal, and by chance, I happened to be watching a an interview with Christopher Hitchens you know, the thinker and uh, a really famous uh, what you call He's a writer, he wrote a lot of really, him and Sam Harris, the neurologist, were great friends. Um, he um, was giving an interview, one of the final interviews before he died of cancer, and he was talking to interviewer and the interviewer asked him what was one of the things that he regretted it. And in my mind, this is a a massive part of the interview, but I watched it recently and it was like six seconds at the end of the interview. And he said that he wished he'd written to what he perceived to be famous people more because he wrote to somebody, I think it was the Dalai Lama, and he got a really nice reply back. Um, So I watched that, didn't really think much of it. And then the next day I was watching but well, I was kind of grazing YouTube. And I saw a a video of a professor um, called Raffaello D'Andrea who was demonstrating what these little tiny quadcopters could do. And it was a TED Talk, I think. So I thought, sod it. I'll email him. Do you what he says? And I, he said, I, I literally said, what you're doing looks fascinating. Can I please have a go? Uh, he said, no. No, you can't. No. Um, I was like, oh. Yeah, but um, my friend, Chad Jenkins, over at Brown University, is doing some robotics research and pointing me in his direction. And then Professor Jenkins just basically opened the toy cup. And I, for six to eight months, we played with drones. And I was here in the UK, and he was at Brown in uh, America, on the East Coast. And... Um, I'm not sure where Brown University is. Um, on the On the East Coast, I think. I don't know. You have such a massive country. It's uh, and yeah. So I I flew drones remotely from here with my head and index finger. I played with um, this massive robot called Baxter, which you could show it a task and then it it learns how to do the task like a child would. Um and yeah, it was six months to a year of that, of of playing in the lab and experimenting with telepresence and just having a whale of a time. Basically, they were the the, the whole team at Brown were wonder robotics team were absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful. There was no no sense that because I wasn't an academic or because I was disabled it was a problem. Um, it was sure, come and have a play.
0: Nice. It, uh brown brown is in Rhode Island on the east coast just right. I had to look it up too <laughs> <laughs> But okay so so then you you got into like um experimental like this is before drones were something you went out to Amazon to buy
1: yeah it's just before that just before they exploded now everyone is enjoying the opportunity to fly drones near airports and Make it difficult for the rest <laughs> of us to enjoy them.
0: <laughs> what uh, what what uses did you find for drones in your uh in your life?
1: Um, drones was was about fun, was about speed. Because one of the first things it's taken away from you when taken away from a bad situation, not by people, but when you become quadriplegic and you're in a chair is um, risk speed, that ability to go fast. So to be able to Kind of experience um, fpv flight you know first person view flight mm-hmm. through a drone's eye um, like I think they got something like eighty meters per second, which is incredibly fast um, was just exhilarating um, and then it was more the the telepresence there's a a company called suitable tech uh, who make the beam telepresence robot which I think if you've ever seen Edward Snowden give a talk, um, or he uses one. It's uh, it's like a live. It's like an iPad on wheels that's like about five foot tall with your face on it, and you can yeah. drive it. You can move around in remote spaces using um, a computer here. Which it's not. It's weird. It's not like a Skype or a Facetime chat. After a while, people come up because I've wandered around conferences. Um, And after a minute or two, you can see people, they'll be looking at the robot, and then they'll just start making eye contact with me, and the robot stops being there. It gives you a real weird sense of agency, like you're actually there, which is amazing because, you know, I've got to visit, you know, museums all over America and all over the world, and I've given uh, speech at conferences, and actually felt like I was there, which... It's just phenomenal. Yeah, so, I
0: did. I watched a uh, a a TED talk you did. Mm. I think it was TED. Uh, uh, no, where, the
1: wired one where I flew the drone. Oh yes,
0: yes. And and you yeah. were basically you were on the screen, but you were seeing the audience through a drone. Yeah, and that, doing barrel rolls.
1: <laughs> that was hard, and that was uh, yeah. Because I had no depth perception during that talk. All I could see was straight in front of me, and so I had no idea what was to the left or to the right or behind me. So I had to practice a lot for that. No I was very lucky. There was a, a guy from the NodeCopter.com. is the project. Um, one of the guys from there, Andrew Nesbitt, um, because somebody had to be in line of sight of the drone. I, I was flying it, but he made he set up the network and he made it easy for me to do. Um, well, easy. He made it possible for me to do it. Wasn't even it looks easy, but it was it was quite a difficult thing to do at the time. Um, but again, that was a. I, I rocked up at the Node Nodecopter um, mailing list and said, "I'm quadriplegic. I'd like to be able to do this. I don't know how. Can any of you guys help?" One of them said, "I've got a spare drone I'm not using," and he stuck it in the post. You know, they wrote an extra module for me to be able to fly it through a web interface and. You know, and they were just awesome. They had, had absolutely no reason to do it other than it was interesting. And nice. Yeah, it was just really wonderful. Really wonderful of them. But
0: so a- what do you see as the future for this kind of, uh, like, telepresence and, and drone presence?
1: Well, I think the drone thing is going to be... Uh, what... Well, <laughs> People keep saying it's going to be a a delivery medium, but I I think there's a lot of problems to be solved in there, because if an Amazon drone hits me in the head, who hit me in the head? Who's liable?
0: Right. Is it the drone?
1: Was it the software? Was it the developer? Was it it Amazon? And how do we deconflict 500 drones delivering over a city? I mean...
0: Aren't those aren't those the kind of problems that like uh, the car industry is facing with uh, driverless vehicles? Yeah, I mean they're problems that could be solved.
1: Oh, I think they're soluble pro- problems. I just don't see them being soluble within ne- solvable in the next ten years. Whereas I think in the next five years we could have one of those telepresence robots in um, hospitals, and um, you know I've got to go to the hospital next week for some routine stuff and um the consultant doesn't actually have to touch me. Now there's a huge cast of characters involved in getting me from here to the hospital whereas if there was a telepresence robot it would save money, time, effort, pain, all those things. And we could have a conversation, I could see him, you know, and it would just save a fortune and would not cause any pain. So I mean I'm I'm really, really hopeful the nhs and other other big organizations um start using them and the other big area is another one that i was i helped do some testing in was this um culturally social inclusion stuff like uh, i visited the there's a big museum in california whose name escapes me um but yeah i visited eight or nine museums all over the world in these robots. And that's just amazing. Um, it's much like when people make a building accessible, they slap a ramp outside and go, there you go, it's accessible. But unless every single meter between my front door and that ramp is accessible, then none of it is. You know, it's, the signal yeah. has to carry. And if if, if, there's, if there's a pothole or a big curb or, you know, a car in the way, Halfway there. It doesn't matter how nice the ramp is. Whereas with telepresence, it's just another door. It's another way in that anyone can use. Mm-hmm. Ha-
0: have, you, have you read uh, William Gibson's newer book, uh, The Peripheral?
1: I haven't. Not yet.
0: I w- no. I, you would enjoy this. I mean, William Gibson, I instead of yeah. cyberpunk, they call it uh, like futurist... I can't remember the word they use, but basically it's someone who has a knack for kind of telling the future, which he always has. Um, but uh, but the peripheral is about these. It, it's a society in the future where you can basically have an avatar, this uh, human esque body that you can use as a telepresence from your couch at home. And at any time that you're out on the street, half the people around you are what are called peripherals. And they are telepresence <laughs> robots for someone who decided to stay home that night, but still wants to go out. Oh, and, that seems
1: uh, freakishly possible.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I think you would enjoy the book, though, because it goes into kind of the... Uh, not, not It's not about the peripherals. That's a part of the society um, mm. like it's not about the problems and everything that that causes, although that they are they are evident in how that shapes society uh yeah. but but yeah it's it's the kind of thing I think someone with as much uh time invested in telepresence as you have would enjoy
1: yeah i I think that it's gonna be telepresence is gonna be i've heard people worry that it I've heard people express worries that, well, everyone will just stay home and not talk to anyone, Will talk to um, everyone through a robot. And, well, that's still contact. That could, Wreck. you know. There, there's a lot of the reason that a lot of quadriplegics I've spoken to haven't solved problems and haven't um, haven't got out. I mean, I must have set up. Twenty or thirty quadriplegics who've got in touch with me over the past year, just with basic internet access, and it's because we're all siloed and alone, and we get terrible advice from able-bodied people who aren't technologists because you know they're medical professionals and they don't know a lot about technology. So it's yeah, you know, here's a remote control that you can use, and see uh, ya. Yeah, just <laughs> wait for your next wait for your next hospital appointment and. Yeah, you know, there's just no need for that anymore. Um, yeah. So I think that it's going. To, there is obviously the risk that it could cause some some fracturing of society and some. But every major technological change causes mm-hmm. societal people. If you go want. to
0: any bar this evening, you'll see so many people talking to other people on their phones. Yep. Absolutely,
1: and I saw a group of school, <laughs> school children this morning, nine o'clock. There must have been ten of them walking down the road, and every one of them was staring down at the phone. And I would imagine yeah. they were talking to each other,
0: right? You know? um, like so. The idea that you would have to talk to someone through a telepresence robot does not seem that disruptive to the way things already are right now.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's a big. I, I don't think it's a big leap. I think had we gone, had we not had the complete ubiquity and complete penetration of mobile with smartphones and gone straight to telepresence, there would be more resistance and right. more fear around them, but people are just like, oh, okay, well, then we've got, you know, I think people were a bit weirdly freaked out by Google Glass, which I don't really understand.
0: But, <laughs> I um, was excited.
1: Well, the thing is, I didn't really get the privacy argument. That, that, Phone in your pocket is broadcasting your location, <laughs> where you've been, all your Wi-Fi access points, way, way more stuff than Google Glass ever did. Um, yeah. And it was—I don't know—it was just this weird reaction that I didn't really get. I mean, and I got to play with them as well. I was, uh, I was, I was very excited when mine arrived. Um, nice. Uh, so yeah, I played with a it's a company called Mindreader and you—you you put the Google Glass on and you put the uh e- e-, e e G or E C G machine on your head. It was just like a little skull cap type thing. Yeah. And you could think. So you'd look through the lens of Google Glass and you'd see a bar like a like crosshairs. And if you think and the bar would move to the top, it would take a picture. After you'd taken the picture, you then focused on the bottom or the top of the screen, the, the screen that you could see in glass to post it to Twitter or Facebook, all with your brain waves. That's crazy. Absolutely. I mean, I was like, yeah, right, okay, because they emailed me and said, like, would you like to test this uh, Google Glass? My, and they was like, it's not reading your mind. It's not. You know, they were terrified of the daily mails, and Google can read minds. like, no, they're just picking a pop up on areas of your brain lighting up. And, uh, no, it was great. It was uh, the ability to just be sitting there and just focus and uh, and it took about five minutes of practice and you know i was just posting to facebook and twitter whatever random i mean initially it was admittedly pictures of my feet and pictures <laughs> of the corner of the lamp but after a bit of practice it was uh, it was it was fantastic to be able to use your brain to uh, to control um to control being able to take photos like that. I mean, it was just, yeah,
0: that's amazing. It was
1: just amazing what they were, were able to do. And he was saying that they weren't even at the Model T kind of, Model T forward kind of stage yet with right. this kind of technology. You know, they were before that. So
0: Yeah. MIT had a wearable computing division. I don't know if they still do. Uh, but back in the late 80s, early 90s, the stuff they were coming out with, from the wearable it was the stuff that inspired uh, the gargoyle from Gibson's early novels uh these people that would be you know covered in more computer equipment than skin and right. um, but yeah like this was this was part of the dream all along was the idea that our our existing senses uh can be amplified and then we can substitute you know for senses that lack. We can yeah. substitute technology and blend it with motor function and uh, brainwaves to do something that, you know, beyond what a human can do, not just, you know, yeah. not just repair disabilities, but enhance everything. That, yeah, that still excites me.
1: Oh, the, aug- the augmentation possibilities. But I think there's a real, a real dividing line we have to get over. because I, I mentioned in passing to somebody the other day that were it possible... Um, uh, it was after I had read some research where they'd, um, excitingly, instead the the focus on fixing spinal cord injuries recently, or up until recently, seems to have been focused around fixing the spinal cord, which, obviously, not an easy thing to do. So what these these researchers had done, and I can't remember what it was, I think it was MIT, they had um, hooked up a... Prosthetic robotic arm with a brain implant and just gone around the problem. The brain, um, the implant in the brain was connected via radio waves to the robotic arm, and they were able to pick up glasses, drink, and uh, and just show you spinal cord broken. And we'll just, you know, go around the problem with radio waves. Um, and I mentioned in passing to someone, I would like, I would totally cut off my arms and have them replaced with robot ones. And it was pretty much split 50-50 between horror that I would do this and like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you? Your arms don't work, so if you could what? have robot ones, why wouldn't you do that?
0: My arms work fine, and my entire life I have said if someone could show me a bionic arm that worked better than my arm, I would gladly swap out limbs. Yeah, why wouldn't you? And people do react in horror. I've never met anyone who who thought, oh, I would totally do that. Um, Well,
1: absolutely. I think it's (laughs) that, um, they say you're like one of two types. There's people who inhabit their entire body and then there's brain in a jar people. (laughs) You know, I'm definitely a brain in a jar. I I don't care. If someone could replace my body with um, uh, bits of robotic robotics and hook them up. Although knowing what I know about wireless security, I'm not. I think I would rather have bits <laughs> of Ethernet cable. To be honest, it's, uh, I'm not entirely convinced. I'd fancy my arms and legs being hacked. Right. Get a little bit messy.
0: Yeah, um, I, I could see that being a, a security concern.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, All yeah, right. It's, uh, I, I, I think that kind of it. W- it would be great when augmentation and. Uh, repair become not, it's not when having a robotic arm, isn't something that people do when they've had an accident, isn't only something that happens when they've had an accident. So when you able-bodied folks start getting them as well, and start normalizing it, that, that will be great.
0: So let's talk about a few of your, uh, your current projects. Uh, you started robots and cake. That was a while ago, right?
1: yeah that was um, somebody else that was working with um, Professor Jenkins um, called Henry Evans who his website is robots for humanity it's r4h.org um, he's another quadriplegic like me but he's got locked in syndrome um, and out of a conversation with him uh, he said why don't you start an organization and I was like Oh, yeah, I could totally do that. Um, So, and then I think it was either the day after that or the day before that, somebody said, Would you like to do a TED talk? And I said, I've never given a speech in public. (laughs) Like, oh, you'll be fine. Okay. So, within about a week, we'd, well, I say my partner, Sally, had written a speech. We had Robots and Cake up and running and I'd given a TED talk. And it was from there, it's just been, Drones, robots, pe- companies sending me technology to play with, hooking people up, and uh, just generally making my hobby my job. I mean, it is fantastic, to be honest, I've got a great job. Um, <laughs> I do actually love my work. It's, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. It's, uh, from going from being completely quadriplegic in that bed into, you know, what, six, seven years ago, to where I am now. Is just phenomenal. And, you know, we spun off Inventability to try and help other people. Because behind every article you see on Inventability is probably about four years of trying 20 different other things to get to that solution. Um, So I thought if we could save people some time by sharing these things. Um,
0: Yeah. So Inventability.net net. Mm. Uh, it spun off from the Robots and Cake and it's kind of a a collection of almost tutorials um, and reviews, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's... um, I didn't really want to cross that... I I didn't really want Robots and Cake to be any kind of commercial entity, really. Um, So, um, Inventability is reviews of things that I've tried, there's... um, It Broadly, it's split into into five sections. There's um, makes, which is where we show how we've made stuff. There's reviews, tips, lists, and and long forms. So, you know, it's buddy buttons or how I get connected to the internet or um, ways that we solve problems. And basically, just little, you know, instead of going through you know, 30 different types of switch that cost a huge amount of money each. Here's what I did. Um, Here's how we connected up and repurposed commercial off-the-shelf software and hardware for a disability purpose, which um, if you ask for help from institutions, they will give you institutional solutions. So they will go to a disability fair where all of the disability companies will be who well, it's not a real market. They don't really compete, these disability companies. They the technology is stuck in the nineteen eighties and you can do with one iPhone what ten bits of very expensive um, specialist disability equipment can do. So, you know, we try and bring a little bit of that to well, our experience of that, to people through inventability. Like I say, we've not I think we started spun off Inventability about six months ago. Um, but yeah, I've had some good, some good responses from it. Um,
0: I just became intrigued by the article on, uh, coffee food.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. I need food, need coffee. It's, uh, start losing weight. It's just coffee huge amount of protein. And, and then I have to drink coffee. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it.
0: Yeah. I have
1: to drink a ton of coffee every day. It's, uh, it's great. Yeah, we got the simplest coffee machine you can find. Just put cup under machine, press coffee, and uh, out comes coffee. It's, uh, <laughs>
0: it's great. Okay, so a big thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring this episode of Systematic. Text Expander for Teams is a productivity multiplier, a shared knowledge base from which your team communicates quickly and accurately. Using Text Expander, all of your team's common replies are worded by your best writers. Accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts, and available on all the platforms your team is on, macOS, iOS, Windows, and the web. April is TextExpander's first anniversary. In that time, the TextExpander crew have added team statistics, group notes, public groups, monthly activity reports, the Windows app, tons of client software updates, and much more. You can celebrate by visiting textexpander.com systematic and starting your free trial. All right. Well, that brings us to the top three picks, shall we? Sure. All right. This goes one at a time, back and forth, and you mm-hmm. get the first pick.
1: Oh, at the moment, I'm completely obsessed with Home Assistant. It's home-assistant.io. It's home automation of any sort. It's free. It runs on Raspberry Pis and anything. Um, and um, yeah, you can control anything. It gives you graphs. Um, It lets me... Basically, because... Obviously, I'm quadriplegic, so... I would have an app for the light bulbs, an app for the door, an app for the um, plugs, an app for... I've consolidated about 12 different apps into this one. Like, severely simple and easy-to-install interface. You basically buy a Raspberry Pi... um, plug all the bits in, go to Home Assistant, run one script, and then it essentially finds all of your um, Home Assistant, all of your um, home automation equipment. Nest she- and Hue, and Nest, Hue, Plex, Wemo, MQTT, Belkin, Apple TV, Amazon Echo, um, everything, yeah. Um, yeah. You, it literally, and... The, the, the really great thing about it, and is the community. They have a Gitter um, help channel, and they have the patience of a saint. Because I spend most of my day in there, with it's a day that ends with Y, and I've broken home assistant again. And they are wonderful, and I've it, it's really nice. They are not. Full of grey beards who complain about people not knowing things, which <laughs> tends to happen with quite a lot of communities, unfortunately. They are welcoming, helpful, and yeah, when I've not been doing inventability stuff, that's what's been completely consuming my life at the moment.
0: Um, nice. Yeah. yeah it's, I would, I would uh... highly
1: recommend, and it's completely free once you've bought the, uh, the Raspberry Pi, or I think it'll run. I'm just I'm just looking now. I think it'll run on pretty much anything. It's just a Python. Um, I say just, they've made it so you can say just yet yeah, it'll run. I'm looking at the install page now. It's uh i on Synology Mac OS or OS X Docker Vagrant Windows all sorts running anything. Um, yeah. And they've simp- they've made it as simple as running a, a script and and you're off and running. And nice. the accessibility and again this was another one. When I rocked up and said you've made possibly the best accessibility home automation system on the market today and that includes the you know twenty five thousand pound control four and they were like, No, we didn't. I was like, No, you really did and they they were stunned because it hadn't occurred to them. Um, which is, uh, is nice and now that it has concern as has occurred to them, you know, they're adding components which is you know they have a, a component per um, per service. So there's one for Arduino's and um, yeah. And so they, they're adding all sorts of things, and if there's ones that are missing, they'll add them. And it's just a really vibrant and and really. If you've got any home automation equipment, I would i forget all the paid stuff, the paid ways of gluing it all together, um, and just use Home assistant. I really would.
0: Nice. But, Mm. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, tack my first pick onto that. Um, mm. I use, uh, a, a node.js little app called Homebridge, which <sighs> connects all kinds of different home automation stuff to yeah. Apple's HomeKit. So then I can access it through Siri. Yeah.
1: That's so the bridge all I'm my, using.
0: yeah. So all of my, um, like uh x10 home automation stuff that will never be homekit compatible i can mm. still use and i can have siri turn off lights that run on home automation switches made 15 years ago yeah and that has been uh kind of i guess my my bridge to something more like uh home assistant
1: yeah i'm using the homebridge component for home assistant to do exactly that.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Um,
1: which enables me to use a let. Oh, damn, I've said it. I keep. I, I have Amazon Echoes around the house, <laughs> and I keep saying the name, and it keeps setting them off. And yep. for some reason, my Amazon Echo in my office has become weirdly obsessed with Elton John. Whenever <laughs> I ask it to play music, I keep telling it I don't like Elton John, but it's not having it. It just here's something you might like, Elton John. And it doesn't matter, it seems to matter how much I scream at the thing and shout at it, it is implacable. <laughs> Gone with the wind seems to be the bane of my life at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, Homebridge is, is great, and I think there's, I'm just looking at, yeah, there's an X10 and Z-Wave plug-in for Home System.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it brings my Nest and my X10 stuff. Yeah. And and more than anything, it gives me Siri control over everything that's in my Indigo setup.
1: Indigo? Oh, that's the... Yeah. It's like the
0: Mac version of Home... I can't remember what I used to use on Windows. I've been doing automation since before I switched to Mac, but I will say that things have gotten better since I switched to Mac, and that was before HomeKit even existed.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think I played with Home Assistant, but normally, uh, uh, not Home Assistant, uh, Indigo. Indigo, yeah. One of the the great things and the greatest things about um, Apple product Mac laptop about OS X or Mac OS whatever they've decided to call it now is keyboard shortcuts and um, the ability to add keyboard shortcuts to anything. Anything. And for anything, right. for some reason, I just couldn't get it to work with Indigo. I don't know why. Which I think is why I stopped and kind of gave up on the whole home automation thing for a little while. <laughs> um, so I got really frustrated. But now it's uh, now there's a bridge now with Homebridge and I think it's called something em- emulation hue emulation, which means that you can connect your Amazon Echo to uh, home assistant as well. So, nice. I mean, I would be utterly lost without Siri. Absolutely lost. I do everything with it all day. Yeah,
0: you know, it's, uh, it's, yeah no, it's an amazing. A, thing. A, so, like uh, Siri on the Mac, has that made a a big difference for you in usability of the Mac OS?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I use it more for novelty purposes on the Mac. Like, just I think
0: most I people still do at this point. Um, but. I have high hopes.
1: Oh, oh, I think I accidentally set off Siri. Um <laughs> <I> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think had I not had I not already created this paradigm where I use Dragon Dictate keystrokes and all the other other bits of software that I use, I think that I would use Siri on the Mac more than I do. On the phone, I I couldn't I couldn't be without it. Really. Right. Um, I think where I could quad- made quadriplegic today and I was given a Mac tomorrow, I would be using Siri on the Mac straight away. And sure. is, that's generally my advice is to do it is to utilize is to utilize it as much as possible. Yes. Because it is so useful. Mm. It is, it's slightly unfortunate at the moment though in that um, Amazon seems to have the best hardware Google has the best search and Apple has the best voice recognition and um, and yeah, just voice recognition. And yeah. If they all, I don't know, if they all opened up a little bit and just worked together, it would make, it would advance the state of the art just tremendously.
0: Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. All yeah. right. Um, so what's sorry. your second pick?
1: Um I've been doing I think I've been getting very slightly obsessed with Ian Ian M. Banks books. I think The what he, now? Ian M. Banks. He's a he was, he died recently. He's a Scottish writer. He um he writes science fiction novels um and he writes about the culture. Have you read any of his stuff?
0: I don't think so.
1: He writes under two names Ian Banks, it's E his name's spelt I A. I.N. Banks, which is like ordinary, if not slightly messed up um, fiction. <laughs> and then he writes completely separately. He writes under e M. Banks. Um, he writes sci-fi. And it is some of the best sci-fi, possibly the best sci-fi that I've ever read. But he writes about um, this post-scarcity world of um, called The Culture, where artificial intelligence exists and there's giant spaceships that are sentient and basically they've built a society that humans live inside or do the humans live inside the culture or the culture live inside humans and who's in charge or does it matter if they're in charge and it's all about you know there's lots of human augmentation and they can gland drugs just by thinking about it they have a drug gland in their brain where they can Gland, things like quick, so they can, you know, take speed just by thinking about it. And You know, they can regenerate arms and, yeah, I, I've been, that's what I've been doing. I've not been doing home assistant, basically. The thing is, with audiobooks now, I can do both at the same time, which is not really that great, because I'm not great at multitasking. <laughs> and they're just kind of wandering off and breaking things.
0: So I'm looking at the uh, the Wikipedia page for ian banks and Mm. yeah this is amazing i can't believe i haven't read a lot of these
1: yeah i'm i'm surprised i think it will be right up your street
0: yeah elon elon musk named two of the company's autonomous spaceport drone ships mm -hmm. just read the instructions and of course i still love you after ships from bank's novel the player of games
1: yeah the player of games accession is my favorite and um the uh, accession use of weapons in the player of games Am I possibly? Accession's possibly my favourite book in the world, Um if not *Fear and Loathing* in Las Vegas, one of the two. But they're all—they're <laughs> all fabulous, really. The culture stuff all right. is just brilliant.
0: Yeah, no, I'm—I'm I'm into it. I—I've been looking for new authors. Yeah, my, if you're
1: into—if you're into technology in 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 any way, I think you would love ENM Banks. Really,
0: that sounds great. All right. So my second pick is going to be DreamShot app. It's a screenshot application for the Mac where it lets you easily with a, a keystroke, take a screenshot. But then what makes it kind of amazing is the number of places it can instantly send your screenshot to uh, including floating it on your desktop, which is often handy if you don't want to be jumping between applications and you just need information from, like, your spreadsheet while you're working something else on a small screen, all the way through uh, Facebook, Sketch, Twitter, iMessage, AirDrop, Flickr, Aperture, iPhoto, Mail, Evernote, Clarify, Photoshop, Illustrator, Cloud, Dropler, Sketch, like, basically wow. anything that allows... Any kind of integration, it has buttons you can send from, and uh, it's a really fast way, really fast and flexible way to share screenshots. What was it and called again? Sorry, what was it called? It's called, called Dream Dream Shot. Dream Shot. Oh, and you can find it awesome. at DreamShotApp.com. Dream Shot. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because um, Sketch was like that when they first came yeah. out, but um, then they kind of hobbled it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, Skitch was no, my favorite thing in the world.
1: I still use it because I haven't found anything close, but I'm just it, looking at it a has shop gotten, now and, It has
0: recently gotten better again. Skitch has. Yeah. Um, I tried it for the first time in years recently, and I thought, wow, when did they when did they put all this stuff back in? Um, um, you still, It still wants you to save your stuff to Evernote every time you use it.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> I use Evernote for everything because it's my PA scans my mail into it but yeah I don't like the idea of having to put my stuff into I use Evernote because I choose to I don't want to have to use Evernote for Skitch which is you know Skitch was a great application and you used to be able to upload to your own FTP server or wherever right Um, but this Dreamshot looks great
0: yeah it's a cool little app
1: yeah
0: all right what's your third pick
1: I think my third pick, because I've mentioned it to lots of people recently and nobody's known about it, is the services menu on the Mac. <laughs> if you use a Mac, look under the name of the app in the top left-hand corner and there's a, Mac and a menu called services. And there are huge quantities of useful things that go on in that menu that people just don't use or don't appear to. I mean, I do. I mean, I use... Uh, Searching, you're searching. I mean, every day. If you write for the web, it saves me a huge amount of time. Just being able to swipe over something and then I use Dragon Dictate because Dragon Dictate you can um, create a command. So you say a command and it triggers a Apple Script or a keyboard shortcut or whatever. So I say, so I say I hover over the words Brett Terpstra and say the word xylophone Google because. I add the word xylophone so it doesn't get confused with, <laughs> and like, to pick a word that I don't use in conversation. Um, and then it just goes out and replaces the name Brett Turpestre with a Google thing. It's fabulous. I mean, and with Automator, you can make your own. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. If, if there's that tiny little niggle that's slowing you down, I think fire up an Automator and do a bit of Googling, and there they will probably, if there isn't already a solution, a simple solution, um, then it isn't that hard to create services. It's hard to create good ones, but it's not hard to create little, simple ones that do little tiny, simple things. Um, I found. Anyway.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of services.
1: Yeah. I mean, without markdown <laughs> services and, um, and search, like, I mean, I know it, I'm, I'm on your podcast and I, I, but, uh, I think my Twitter feed of, of, of helps I think, attests to the fact that I use it daily. It, uh, I just I cannot read HTML. I mean, I've been trying to do it. My partner is a, a web developer, and she can just sit and read HTML, read the the words, and I just can't do it with links in. So I just go through and put a little exclamation part G next to it, and then when I finish doing it, I run a run a search link on the whole document, and boom, links. Off we
0: go. I... Uh... I have full use of all of my limbs, and I still think Searchlink is possibly the most useful thing I've ever created.
1: I, I, might, so. I might have to agree with you. <laughs> Although Mark 2, um, Mark 2, that's you, isn't it? Is that you? What? Mark yeah,
0: Mark yeah that's me. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, was, I was looking. I wrote a list of because uh, I thought you might ask me. And on this list, it has um, NBLT, Mark 2, Markdown Services, Searchlink, uh, and Alfred, and I think that's four of them are yours.
0: Yeah. <laughs> everything, but Alfred,
1: everything, but Alfred, yeah. Which,
0: um, Alfred is, Although I've written some plugins for Alfred. So we share that love.
1: Cool. Yeah. I've been using Alfred. They, they gave me a lifetime years ago, lifetime nice. license. Um, cause I said something nice about them somewhere. I think cause it's a brilliant app. I mean, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, so, I, I'm still a LaunchBar guy, but I Alfred is amazing. I just, I, I, I got sold on LaunchBar before Alfred even existed, and I've just it's, never had the uh, motivation to switch away.
1: Yeah, I, I tried. I mean, I, I mean, I, it's. I tried LaunchBar, but it's like with all the, this GCD software. I see that getting things done software is used by highly successful, highly productive people. But all I realized after six months of trying every new GTD hotness is that I am now an expert at this new GTD app.
0: <laughs> I am
1: not getting anything else done other than becoming an expert at GTD apps. So I am trying, trying to not just open Hacker News and go, ooh, getting things done more now. Yeah, hotness thing, click, 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 and then spend a week learning how to use it and then never actually using it. So it's now, we have the blue book of power in the morning, which the can I sit down with, write down, and if it's in the blue book of power, it has to be done. That, flat text files and markdown. And that, for me, I mean, I see that these other tools have value and that other people use them, but for me, I just end up using the app. And not actually working with it, which I get it. It's slightly <laughs> counterproductive.
0: Yeah, I had to. I had to turn that um, drive to try every new app into a career. That's why I started blogging for <laughs> MacWeb. Yeah, seconds. I think that seems <laughs> to
1: be your only option, really, isn't it? If you want to carry on doing.
0: It. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Um, so yeah, we'll put down services as the pick. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. And I are. wholeheartedly support it. Yeah, my last pick is going to be Click and Grow. It is a uh, it's a series of products for uh, hydroponic gardening, and oh. I have an uh, an Aero Garden that I I do enjoy, but these little uh, smart gardens that Click and Grow creates are cheap and they have been highly effective, and I can actually afford enough of them to do like a whole a uh, little uh, three-pod growth of uh, just uh, like basil and one of peppers. And so I can separate my fruiting plants, the taller ones from herbs that I can keep trimmed down and I don't have to worry about light, the light source affecting uh, shorter plants when the taller ones block it. And I have really enjoyed the more modular system. And for like uh, between 60 and $80, you can get, uh, little three pod setups going. They don't have any uh, aeration built in. Uh, you just have to r- water regularly, which will, you know, create enough motion in the water. Mm. And then it has an adjustable height, full spectrum light on it. And they also make wall farms, which I really yeah. would like. Can't afford at right they
1: now. These look. Fascinating. Are they quite small? Then they they just sit
0: yeah, you know, well, the, the... and. Yeah. Well, the smart guards are about, um, I would say, eighteen inches long. I can't do that in centimeters for you.
1: It's all right. I, 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 I'm old enough to do, We to have lived in the UK where we speak in inches. So. Yeah. <laughs> all
0: right. Um, but yeah, the uh, the those little little ones fit right on a bookshelf, no problem. Yeah. And then they have the uh, the wall farms actually, uh, basically, our bookshelves for plants. Um, cool. But they start at like I think the shorter one is nine hundred dollars. So that's
1: wow, that's a quite the outlay, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah, but they yeah. also have the little like single cup starter kits. You can build yeah, your I'm own kind at of that setup. now. It
1: looks like a little plant pot on the, on a yeah yeah that looks very cool
0: for thirty bucks. You can build your own kind of setup with it. Yeah. No, That's I've. one of the I've great things about it.
1: living in uh, in the middle of uh, in the middle of California. So all these little <laughs> tech companies. It's, you know, I live, in, I live in the middle of West Yorkshire. We have mines and and, and hills. <laughs> we have a lot of hills and there's some rain. And
0: I live I live in the middle of Minnesota. We have lakes and hills.
1: Oh, I mean, think yes. My, my geography is absolutely atrocious. I was convinced <laughs> you lived in California. I
0: I think anyone who, if you know someone as a tech person, you assume they live in California. Yeah, yeah which I is a safe assumption. But thanks to uh, my own version of telepresence, I get to live in rural Minnesota.
1: Nice. <laughs> is that no? That's the nice flat bit. That's the big flat bit in the middle, isn't it? I mean, I'm really my, my my lack of geography knowledge is really coming to the fore here. I
0: my, I live in a a place with really high hills and valleys, bluffs, and uh, the rest of the country around me is all very flat. But I really, this is a beautiful little valley right here.
1: Yeah, we, I came over to America when I was about eleven, about twenty odd years ago now, and. The size of the place just, it's just somebody, like from where I live now, I mean, in the UK, you're never more than 70 miles away from the coast, um, but in America, just the idea that it would take us longer to get to fly from New York to California than it did to get from Manchester in the UK to New York was just like <laughs> mind-blowing for an <laughs> 11-year-old. Dude. Wow, there's so many people.
0: A, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get to Europe. I want. I want to. I want to find out what it's like to visit multiple countries over the course of a couple of days.
1: Yeah, it's that easy to do. Train ticket, jump on the Eurostar, and you can do. I think London to straight up through into one of the Scandinavian liberal paradises can probably be done in twenty four hours, and that's, that's like crazy. twelve countries. I think.
0: Wow. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that wraps up the top picks and. uh, I want to tell people where they can find you. So on Twitter you are Robots yeah. and Cakes.
1: Yep. And the website is robotsandcake.org and inventability.net.
0: And uh yeah, I'll have all these links in the show notes as well. Cool. And I will also add links to uh your wired presentation and some of the other videos that you have online. And then I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm at TTScoff on Twitter and everywhere else, except for brettterpstra.com, where you can find my projects and blogging. And that's episode 192. Thanks for being here, Stuart.
1: My pleasure. Absolutely wonderful to be on.
0: And uh, I look forward to seeing more from you, and we'll see everybody in a week.